Well, welcome. Good morning. I'm Margo. I'm the Wear Love Pastor here. And if it's your first time visiting, we're so stoked you came to join us on a Sunday. You picked a great week because we're starting a new series. Look at that. You just got blackmailed into coming here. And lo and behold, it was perfect timing. So we're glad you're here. We're glad you decided to spend uh, 60 minutes of your Sunday with us. Uh, and if you have been coming and you missed last week's message because you're off having fun like normal people, uh, be sure to check those out at eastlaketricity.com slash talk. We finished a great series called Who Needs God? And Brent really like drove the point home. It was an awesome, awesome, awesome talk. Totally worth your time. Don't go out in the parking lot and listen to it now. You can wait till after, but you can find it right there at eastlaketricities.com slash talk. Uh, but I wanted to do a series. Brent gave me free reign. I'm sorry in advance, uh, but I wanted to do a series on self-talk. Uh, because whether we're really aware of it or not, we all have constant self-talk going on in our head. We're always having some sort of dialogue. Uh, you know, you get the little, like, the angel on one side, the devil on the other. You know, people telling you right versus wrong. We actually have, there's a meme that's been popular, if you like memes, that kind of talks about this inner battle that we always have when we have some examples of those. Kind of illustrates this point. Ah, Yes. <laughs> Men, this is you. Uh, wash his hands. Damn, she's out of paper towels. Bam, look at those decorative towels hanging right there, those. Guys, in case you weren't aware, maybe this is all you're going to take away. If the towel has like initials on it or some sort of embroidery, that is just for looks. Women, you're, you understand. You have the towels that are just for looks and then the ones that are actually supposed to be used. This, this speaks to you. I love, this is, this is a good one. Gets piece of bread, me to me. Now close it without the twist tie. I'm sure none of you guys do that. Save your extra five seconds. All right. Uh, this one I'm totally guilty of. Ice accidentally drops in the kitchen. Me to me, kick it under the fridge. I mean, that's where all ice cubes go to die is under the fridge. <laughs> if you have a dog, dog owners, dog, the family's sleeping bark, all right? You know, it totally makes sense. All right, he, he asked me uh, what was wrong, and I should have been an adult and told him. But then he say, nah, tell him nothing. He should know what's wrong. <laughs> Not like I've done that two days ago, just throwing that out there. So we, we, have, these, we have these points in our day where we have these these battles of like, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking? How should I be reacting? And it can be really overwhelming. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of functioning in a very unhealthy pattern because they don't know. They just feel helpless to overcome a lot of inner negativity that they're up against. And I feel like as women, this is something that we, we know and understand and you'll see in media, but I feel like guys, you get left out of this. I feel like Guys get left off the table because guys don't suffer with insecurities. Guys don't suffer with doubts. Guys don't suffer with regret. And you guys are like, mm-hmm. So this, this series is actually based off a book. And one of my favorite things about the book, it's a book called Crash the Chatterbox by a guy named Stephen Furtick, pretty popular preacher. My favorite part about it is that it's a dude. <laughs> the whole thing, I'm reading this, I'm like, guys, like, go through this too. Guys, go through this battle of just like being so hard on yourself constantly. And so when Brent said, you know, you can preach on anything, 
uh, I really wanted to take the time to go week by week to address what both sides, guys and girls, are facing in their days, which is a lot of negativity, a lot of not helpful self-talk. And I want to do this because we as healthy adults, we can't be and stay healthy adults when we are burdened with unhealthy internal proclamations. We can't be a fully healthy adult, rational adult, if we have these unhealthy internal proclamations. And if you're saying to yourself, well, this isn't me at all. I don't struggle at all. Like I am a rational adult. I am fully, you know, in my mind and making right decisions. And there's never, you know, I never get away from myself. Ladies, we've been to Target. And I don't know, like you walk past those red cement orbs and all of a sudden it's like the spirit of Joanna Gaines like comes over me and I just need like throw pillows and mason jars and like, I don't know what happens. And then I leave and I'm like, I don't, I just like, so you're coming out of a daze. Like, I don't know. I thought I was a rational adult and able to fight my inner dialogue, but I get in there and they're like, you need those curtains. I'm like, I don't even have windows. You need those curtains though. So we struggle, we struggle every week, just trying to to overcome our internal dialogue. And so I wanted to test you guys on something because this week, the the way that the part of our internal dialogue that I want to overcome is the tendency for our inner voice to constantly bring up the past, to constantly remind us of what happened yesterday or 20 years ago or 40 years ago, to constantly rehash and remind us of what was done to us or what we didn't do or what we should have done or a missed opportunity or a way that we, we screwed up. And our internal voice loves to bring this up and, and not let us forget about it. So I wanted to test your memory just in a, in a fun way. So do we have some memory tester questions? Who can tell me in the video? We had Mallory. What color was her shirt? I didn't know you guys were, no, you guys didn't know you had a pop quiz. Some people know you're paying attention. Okay, well, here's next level. Who can tell me what the dolphins were wearing? Some people are like, the dolphins wear it. What dolphins? There's a fountain that's not really a fountain outside. And the dolphins actually get dressed up. There's someone whose job is to dress the dolphins. We're that kind of church. The dolphins had an outfit today. Now you're going to be looking on your way out. What were the dolphins wearing? So who can tell me, here's one, who can tell me what they had for breakfast last Thursday? Coffee. That's, I mean, the coffee's kind of cheating. I know I don't like all I have is coffee, so that's easy. So maybe pick like a lunch or dinner, but it's hard. Okay, now let's try some bigger, bigger memories. Your first kiss. Some of you guys are like, Margo, you want me to forget the past and you're bringing up this guy? Like, sorry, sorry. Okay, so first kiss out of the way. Uh, what about your first car? Maybe that's also a painful memory. I don't know, like my car broke down 50 times, so that's a painful memory for me. Okay, maybe this is the most painful memory. Who won the last Super Bowl? Now, you don't, you don't want to see the winner's name, so maybe, maybe you can say, okay, who lost the last Super Bowl in a super embarrassing fashion? Maybe you guys can tell me that answer. Uh, but these are just things to, to make you realize what are the things we remember and what are the things that we forget. And I find it true more often than not that really negative or hard experiences we remember with more clarity than just an an average day that would be better than a bad day. We don't remember the average days, but we remember the bad days. And why is that? Like, I even know my, my graduation, both high school and college, the details are kind of fuzzy. Like you're sitting, you're kind of bored, it's hot, you're 
you're just kind of wanting it to be over. And then you go, go across the stage the whole time saying, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. You get the diploma, you get off and yay. Like those details are fuzzy for me. But I know for my own life, like I remember in specific detail, all of the events on the day that my grandmother passed away down to what song was playing in the car as my uncle drove me to her hospice room. Why is it that we remember in such finite details, the bad things? No wonder it's hard to move past them when they, they're somehow preserved with this crystal clear clarity. So it's tough. And, and I think some of the other things that we also remember are embarrassing stories. So of course, it's tradition for me to share one with you guys. You're welcome. Uh, Eventually, I'll run out of them, but that will be when I have passed on because my life is awkward constantly. So I worked at a summer camp for 10 years, and three years I attended. It was in Maine on this big old lake, Lake Sebago, uh, beautiful Camp Sebago, very original name. And my job this one particular summer was like I was the hype lady. Like that wasn't really my job, but it was kind of my job. But I'd have to get up on stage in front of 300 kids and buy time or waste time uh, to just try to kill something. The program went short or like it wasn't ready. So they grabbed me on stage and they would tell me to lead camp songs, which I mean, no one can look dignified leading silly camp songs, especially Christian camp songs. No offense. They're just kind of crazy. So uh, this one night I got there like, we need to kill time. Margo on go, go lead this one particular song. So I run up on stage to save the day. And because I'm me, I uh, trip on the way up. I, I did stick the landing, but I looked like a baby deer. I was like splayed out there for a couple seconds, just trying to get my sea legs. And of course, you want to detract from attention because 300 people just saw you almost face plant. So I'm like, ah, 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 like just trying to like get into the get kids excited mode. So the song that I was told to lead is a song that's called Knock, Knock, Knock. And it's really cutesy. There's little hand motions. So you go knock, knock, knock. Jesus is a knocking. Tug, tug, tug. It's always, it's adorable. So I'm up there and I'm frazzled. So I just dive right in and I shout out to the whole crowd. Everyone get your knockers out. <laughs> so of course the teenage boys laugh first and then the staff threw me under that bus. And then the little kids are laughing because their adults are laughing. They actually don't understand, or I hope they don't understand. So uh, it took like 15 minutes to like calm down the chaos that had just ensued. And I, and I was a little traumatized. I, I didn't want to ever lead, especially that song again, because a lot of the same kids come back week after week. So they'd be like, knockers, lady. Oh, and you're like, oh, come on. So like that song was like banned. Like there's like a three month period where like we do not speak of the song. Like we don't, not allowed. Like don't even make the motion. So it's, it's really interesting how these events can come at us out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going anywhere near that. But we do that. That was a more amusing story. But things happen to us. Or we, we fail at something or something embarrassing happens or something hard happens. And we tell ourselves, well, I'm not doing that again. I'm not getting anywhere near that with a 20-foot pole. Like, it's not happening. And it's really hard to get past that. And when we, when we stay there saying like, I, I'm not trying that again, when we stay there, we actually really limit ourselves from having 
a more full life or being more effective or doing more for the world because we, we say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't because I have a good reason, right? Because this and this and this and this and this. And there was, there's, a, there's someone that, uh, that lived uh, back in Jesus's time and his life is known now, like looking back, he's known as this person that really built the church, this guy named Peter. And he's, he's, you know, he's so eloquent. People say he wrote these profound things and he, he preached and he did all these great, wonderful, big, huge things. And I feel like we forget how normal he was. Like the second you say this person that you read about in the Bible, you instantly like put him with like Harry Potter or something like this fictional character that if great things happen to him, it's because he lived a book life. And I just want you guys to understand, like this was a real dude that just like had some really incredible things to happen to him. And he had a really normal beginning. He had a really normal beginning of his career, as you want to put it. He was a fisherman. So blue collar job, it'd be like the equivalent if you worked over at the paper mill over there, the smell of money coming from that direction. Uh, He had an unglamorous job. Probably didn't smell great at the end of the day, if you know any fishermen folks, no offense. Uh, But, you know, he had a messy job, a dirty job, would go out, do his work, come home. The routine had started. For us, it'd be like, you know, we were working at the paper mill or something. I know I have this job. I've had this job for 15 years. Going to have it till I retire. I have my 401k, have it all planned out. He wasn't thinking that anything was going to change in his career path because, I mean, he had very minimal education, less than we would have uh, even today. And all he knew was fishing. That was his life. That's all he needed to know. Life was pretty simple, pretty basic, normal blue-collar guy. And then Jesus shows up and pulls him out of that and totally changes his occupation and his lifestyle and all this crazy stuff. And then we know him now as going on to do really big, incredible things. And that, that might not seem that incredible, but I feel like the real life, my connection to it would be like if Margot was sitting in Krispy Kreme, because it was just National Donut Day. I mean, that only happens once a year. I only go to Krispy Kreme once a year, obviously. Uh, and so <laughs> I was sitting in Krispy Kreme, you know, this is hypothetical, waiting for the magical red light, the light that brings all goodness and warmth and joy to the world, waiting for the red light to come on for that hot donut. And then the Seattle Seahawks coach, walks in. Pete Carroll, did I get that right? I'm not from here. Pete Carroll walks in and he says, Margo, someone, you know, knows me, pack your bags, you're going to training camp. And I'd be like, but red light, donuts, me, football, no. Like, I can't even hold on to my cell phone. I drop that eight times a day, never mind a football. And he's saying, nope, you're coming with me. You're going to be playing professional football. And I would think he was crazy because, I mean, you don't just go recruiting for football players in a Krispy Kreme. And uh, a rabbi or a religious leader, teacher doesn't go looking for apprentices fishing. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And, and Peter's probably thinking, yo, I'm totally not qualified for this. How did you know where I work? That's creepy. And also, like, aren't there rules saying that, like, a guy like me can't be doing stuff like that? Like, I'm pretty sure there's rules that say Margo can't play Seahawks football. It's probably actually in the rule book because I have different fandom, but we're not going to talk about that because I want you guys to like me. So we're moving on. Uh, (laughs) But he had this really crazy start. And I think what's important about, about talking about this before we go into the, the, the story or the, the, the event that happened is that we need to understand that this guy, Peter, that his accomplishments, that what he was able to achieve 
wasn't the result of his extensive knowledge or education or talent. It wasn't to do with that at all. He was actually qualified just because God said he was, not because of anything that he'd done to deserve that. And I think that's important because in our lives, we, we get in this mindset that like, I can't do anything. Like, do you know what I do for my job? And you're expecting me to do more? Like you're expecting me to, to be this great person? Like, have you seen my resume or lack thereof? And that's a tactic of one of, of the voices in our head is to tell us that, you know, this is what you're good at and anything outside of that is just not going to happen. But we see in this story that having doubts, I'm sure Peter had doubts that he'd be good for the job, having insecurities and having a past history of messing up or falling short, it actually does not disqualify you from God's love, acceptance, or purpose. It doesn't disqualify you. Your abilities or lack thereof, your past history or lack thereof, it does nothing to actually disqualify you from God's love, acceptance, and purpose. God went in and he gave him the job with a huge promotion before he even showed him what he, he's like on the job. <laughs> that's crazy. But he did it because that's the way that God treats us, treats his people. So if we want to fast forward and look at the highlight reel or really kind of the low light reel of, of Peter's life, because I mean, oh man, he just made so many mistakes. Like he just didn't get it. And Jesus would tell him things and he just dirt to dirt that and like just totally forget. And he, you know, you hear that if you've been in the church environment before, you might've heard the story of walking on water and, you know, there's a big storm and Peter was with the other dudes in the boat and they're freaking out. And then Jesus is standing on the water and tells Peter to come out and walk to him. And Peter takes a couple steps. He's doing good. And then he gets a little like, wait, what am I doing? I'm just a fisherman and this is impossible. And he gets freaked out and he sinks. And, and then God has to like bay watch over there, slow-mo and like rescue him and, uh, you know, save his butt really. So, uh, I mean, he's, he doesn't do everything perfectly, right? Uh, you know, he does some things okay and some things not so okay. And uh, the story that, or the event that we're going to look at it happened right before uh, Jesus's uh, crucifixion. You know, he, Jesus was hanging out with his, his inner circle, these guys that he's been loving on and training and, and pouring into for three years. And they're having supper. And uh, Jesus is just kind of trying to prepare them for the thing that you can't prepare for, uh, which is losing someone that you care about in a really horrible fashion, which was himself. Uh, and so he's trying to prepare them, giving them some advice and like some guidance. And then he also throws out there, hey, Peter, I love you, buddy. But also, uh, just so you know, there's going to come a point before the rooster crows, which is like in a couple hours, you're actually going to tell three separate individuals that you don't know me, you don't associate with me, you like, you would never, you know, you give this impression of like, oh, that Jesus guy, you're like, you're totally going to lie and do this not one time but three times. And, you know, Peter didn't receive it well. I don't, I don't blame him. That'd be like going to do your wedding bells and you're like, and I love you forever and you're going to cheat on me three times. And like the, your partner's going to be like, what? Like, excuse me? So Peter was all in. And so when, when Jesus told him, hey, by the way, three times, like three times before the rooster crows in a couple hours, like this is going to happen. Peter was like, no way. Like there is no way. Like we're close, we're tight, we're buddies. I'm devoted to this cause, not going to happen. 
And sure enough, uh, Jesus is arrested and beat up and put on trial. And Peter sees this and he gets freaked out. I mean, it's his buddy. He's associated with him. His life is now probably at risk as well. And so we see people coming up to him being like, hey, didn't I see you with that guy they just carted off? And he's like, nope, nope. So two people do this. And then we see here, we're going to read, and the third person comes up to him and asks him if he's connected with Jesus, if he knows him. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord, that's Jesus, turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter, he went out and wept bitterly, deeply grieved and distressed. And I've heard this story a couple times, and I've looked through it, and I'll admit that the, when I heard it as a kid, I always thought it was the rooster that like made him realize like, oh man, like I totally just screwed up. Like I did it, the rooster, like ding, you know, like the little, the signal that like this is not going well. It's like when your smoke alarm goes off and you're cooking, like the noise kind of triggers you that you know, maybe the dinner's not going to be great tonight. So the first couple times I've read this or heard this, I always just thought it was the rooster that made him make that connection of like uh, messed up. But if you look back at, at the scripture verse here in Luke, can we have it back on the screen? Uh, if you look at it, it says, while he was still speaking a rooster crowed, okay, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You got parents in the house? You know the look. You know the look. You use the look. You've had the look used on you. It's not fun. You know, the look for me, it was like, my mom would give me the look whenever I said I did my homework. Never did my homework. Uh, whenever I made my bed, oh yeah, you made your bed. And then, you know, when I would tell her something totally believable, like the cat took all my sister's toys and put them under my bed. Like, you know, that, that, would, that would warrant me getting the look and she's going to be here next Sunday to give me the look for telling these stories. But uh, so we see this look, and I think because we've been around adults and we've received the look or we give the look when, you know, things are not happening as they should or the I told you so look, uh, we automatically assume that this look that Jesus gave Peter was a look of, you done messed up now. Like, <laughs> I feel like when I'm reading this, I get that like, ooh, like the look, that's like what really triggered his like, oh man, I, I totally totally flubbed it. But I don't actually think that's the right point of view. And, and how I would back that up is if look at how Jesus treated these, these guys previously. Look how in the past, if they messed up, they fallen short, they said something stupid. How did Jesus react to them? Was it with like this look and like, you can go to your boat. I don't, they don't have a room. But you can go to your boat and like think about it. And like he didn't do that. He usually always used these moments of them falling short as a time for teaching. Like this is a teachable moment. Let's think about our choices. Like is it a good idea? Like he would, you know, kind of talk to him. But that comes from a place of love because you don't do that with people you don't care about. If someone hurts you and you don't care about them actually, you know, making good choices for their life, you're like, See how that works out for you. Yeah, go go ahead and keep making those great choices. That's what we do on Facebook, folks. We're like, oh, you're scrolling through your feed? Like, 
there's tons of people that you just follow simply to be like, oh, look what she did this week. Like, look what he's decided to do. When you actually care about people, you, you don't just look, right? You look and you instruct and you, you try to, to change the direction. And so, I mean, Jesus wasn't very close to him, so it's not like they could have had a teachable conversation kind of thing. So I really feel like this, this look happened so that he would remind himself of how Jesus had treated him in the past and would remind himself of what Jesus had said about him in the past, which wasn't just, you're going to mess up, but I have plans for you. Jesus didn't just want to remind him of what he, what he didn't do, but he wanted to remind him of the plans that he had for him. He's like, I knew you were going to mess up, but do you remember I also said you are going to do this awesome thing and this awesome thing and this awesome thing? I knew you're going to mess up, but I also knew that you're going to do great things. So it couldn't have been a look of this condemnation. And I'm sure Peter never forgot that moment. I'm sure that's something that he, he took with him every day of his life. It probably didn't help that there was the rooster association. And if you've ever been in that part of the world, there are chickens and roosters everywhere like everywhere, and they don't know if the sun's up or down. They are cock-a-doodle-doodling their head off at all times, and it's not convenient. And so the poor guy probably has like a little like trauma carrying with them because every time a rooster crows, he's like, oh, did I say something? Like, was it this time? Like, was it just the one time? So the poor guy every day has to start his day with this reminder, cock-a-doodle-doo, hey, remember that one time that you messed up? That's the worst alarm clock ever. <laughs> I don't want that alarm clock. So every day he had to be reminded of one of the, like, the biggest things that he's done to really like let down this guy that he loved and followed. But I also think it's important the fact that it was a rooster. Because a rooster crowing signifies that it's a new day. It's a new opportunity to change, to make better choices to go in a different direction. So he could have taken it one or two ways. Every time you heard a rooster go off, he could have just like hung his head down and like hit his face and been like, man, remember that time that I really screwed things up? You know, I definitely can't do anything. Can't move on from that. Can't move past that. Or he could say, you know, it's a new day. And I know what I did then, but I also know what God told me I could do. And that's the voice I'm going to listen to more than the rooster. And there's, a, there's a, a Bible verse that's really poignant. It reminds me of this. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, this is God talking to us. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? Are you noticing it? Do you see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Forget. That's a hard word. Forget. And there's new things going, but if you don't notice them, then you're going to miss them. And then there's another verse in Philippians. It says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And I think straining is a really good verse because it shows that it's not easy. Can we agree that it's not easy to move on from things that have hurt us or, or disappointments? It is not easy. It takes some strenuous pushing forward some intentional movement away. And I know a lot of people 
church people and not church people alike, they will hear this verse, someone will throw it on a bumper sticker, and instead of encouraging them, they're like, well, I can't forget, so that's awesome for them, but I guess I'm even a worse Christian or church person than I thought, because I'm unable, you're telling me that I need to forget? I can't forget. I can't forget what was done to me. I can't forget what I did. I can't forget that all the, the disappointments I've had in my life. How can I forget that? How is that possible? And I don't think that's, that's the right interpretation of that because it uses the word forget, but I think it means something deeper than that. I don't think the call to spirit-led for forgetfulness means that it's possible for me to no longer be conscious of the things I've done wrong. It's not saying, you know, you're totally not aware, like, you know, blissful oblivion, don't remember a thing. It's not saying that. It means rather it means I'll no longer be confined by those things. The difference between being conscious of the, like, aware of my, my wrongdoings and the difference, and then there's being confined by them. So I'm not saying it'll never come to your mind. I'm not saying you'll never, it'll never pass through, but I'm saying don't let yourself be confined or restrained or defined or limited by it. That's what it means to forget what happened yesterday, five minutes ago, in the car ride over here when your kids are kicking and screaming and you're just like, ah! Like, it doesn't mean that you totally forget it. It just means, I, you know what? I'm not going to let that define how I treat people going forward. I'm not going to let that be like, that's, that's the best mom I can be. That's the best spouse I can be. That's the best coworker I can be is what I was yesterday. Saying I'm not going to let that define me, confine me anymore. So, so what do we do with this? I think, I think it's important to look at Paul or at, look at Peter because I, the reason I spent all that time talking about how he was picked for this, this great work is to, to make you realize that God picked him even knowing that he wasn't perfect. God picked him even knowing that he would make some pretty huge mistakes. God picked him and chose him and had a plan and a purpose for him in spite of all that. And he knew, like he knew, he knew he was going to fall short and he still gave him this great path, this great task to do. And there's, there's a famous quote. It says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Your hist- historians will say it's important to study the past, to learn from it. But I think what we see and how Jesus treats us and talks about us is a completely different story. I think what the gospel says is those who do not forget the past are condemned to repeat it. If you're not able to move on, then you're not going to live your life in a new way. You're not going to be more than that if you never move on from that. And it's true. It's true that, that, that that's what holds us up from being more than what we are. And it's really sad because when you break it down, it means that we hold ourselves to a harder, higher standard than God holds us to. That's crazy that we are actually harder on ourselves than God is. That's, of course, we're unhealthy and dysfunctional if that's the way that we're operating out of. 
See, Peter could have just been like, I'm going nowhere with my life. You, I was just a fisherman and, you know, I could have just stayed a fisherman. But he let God define him instead of him defining himself. And I think when we, when we think, when I, whenever you're sitting here and you're listening saying, all right, what can I do more with my life? How can I love people better? How can I do more to help others? How can I move on from this, this tragedy or this hurt? How can I, can I be more than that? What that shows us is that we disqualify ourselves, not God. I think it's kind of sad that it's ne- it really is never God that disqualifies ourselves, but we disqualify ourselves. God's saying, I gave you the promotion. I have this great plan for you. I want you to do good things to help people to be a light in a dark world. And we say, oh, nope, I'm not qualified for that. And he's saying, uh, I made the job. Like, I made you. Like, if anyone knows what you're capable of, it's me. And yet we shy back from it and we say, no, I'm not qualified. And we tell ourselves it's God. You know, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not good enough to do, you know, I'm not a good enough person. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough to change my behavior or my habits. And we disqualify ourselves, not God. And Paul or Peter could have done that. He could have done that so easily. He could have said, you know what? I messed up and I'm never going to move past my rooster moment. And we would never have this legacy. We would never, you know, he wouldn't have gone and built the church in all these crazy ways. And it's, it's, if he never got past that internal voice, you wonder like what we, what the world would look like today. And it's hard. We have to be constantly on guard for that negativity in our, in our mental space. And usually it sounds like things like, usually the, the sentences always start with, I'm such a, and then you fill in the blank, or I always do this, or I never do this. And then it always ends in, now everything is this. So I could say, I'm such, uh, I'm such an undisciplined person. I never stick with the good habits that I want to stick with. And now everything in my life is so much less and so much harder than it could be if I could just change this part about myself. I'm such a, I always, I never can, and now everything is. These are the voices that will keep us and confine us to our past. And they're labels. We label ourselves. We allow other, other things to influence us, but ultimately it's us sticking the post-it note on there saying, Margot is this. Margot is a failure. Margot's awful at, you know, being a good daughter, at being a good fiance. Margot is awful at making healthier choices. And we stick these labels on ourselves and we look at them all the time. We look in the mirror or look at someone else and we shrink our capability. We shrink the, the purpose that we're actually created for. But the great thing about it is if we look and truly delve into how God looks at us and how God talks about us, we see that actually he gave us a label for ourselves before we're even born. And it was super glued on there with love. And it's not the labels that we're putting on ourselves. It's not the labels that someone has put on me saying, you're not good at that. You'll never be that. So we need to stop accepting those other labels. We need to stop accepting the things that other people would stick onto us or that we would stick onto ourselves. 
to not to not treat those those temporary post-it notes like they're a permanent paint job. And it's tough. And, and before Peter even denied knowing Jesus, Jesus actually told Peter something else. He said, on you, I will build my church. Because he wanted Peter to know that his shortcomings actually had no power to derail the identity or the label that Christ would have for him. I'm going to tell you that you're going to make mistakes, but I'm also going to tell you that this is who you are. Underneath any other label that you'll want to put on yourself or someone will put on you, this is who you are. When Peter was still a stumbling block, Christ labeled him as a solid rock to build his church on. And it's hard. We need to, we need to actually take the time to, to peel off the label that says, I'm unlovable. Because the, the real label is that you are loved. We need to take the time to peel off the post and note that says unwanted because God has labeled us as chosen. We need to take off the post-it note that says that I am worthless because God has etched, has tattooed, has permanently put on us that we are valued. We need to take off the post-it note that says that I am a screw-up, a mess-up, a nobody, someone that isn't good enough because God has already labeled us as redeemed and worthy and with a purpose. And so that is the challenge for you guys this week, to stop the negative voice in this track, to remind it of what your label is, your real label is, and to throw away those post-it notes as they come or as they've collected up over this time. So we're going to pray. God, we, we thank you so much that the label that you've placed on us is a good label, that it is encouraging, that it is strengthening in times of discouragement. God, I thank you that It's a label that's not based on my qualifications or abilities or what I have done or haven't done. God, it's not based on that at all. But it's based on your love and your vision and your desire and will for my life, God. And I just pray that I see it. When I look in the mirror, I pray that I see the label that you have for me. When I I get that job report back, I pray that I see the label that you have for me. When I get in that, that fight or my parents talk down to me or my spouse is frustrating me, I pray that I see the label that you've placed on me. God, when negativity and comparison is coming my way and I'm just feeling awful, God, I pray that I see the label that you've placed on me with permanence that can't be changed by anything I do or don't do or anything anyone else says. God, help us to see the label and then through that to see your love and your heart for us. In your name we pray, amen.